you're like me, you play pickleball in a place where there are more people than courts. And so one of the problems you have is to figure out how do you organize people? Who gets to play with whom? How do you determine who goes on this court and who goes on that court? Do you stack paddles? Do you play winners versus losers? Do you do winners stay on and you have a challenge court? One of the solutions I sometimes see clubs try is that they have a recreational side and they have a competitive side. And that seems like a great idea. But here's the thing. Recreational and competitive are attitudes. They are not skill levels. I remember the first day I went out to play pickleball, and I am lucky. I've been a tennis coach for 20 years. I've been a tennis player for much longer than that. And I showed up my very first day at pickleball. And to put it bluntly, I was the strongest player there. I didn't know what I was doing. I was figuring it out. But I had this background that afforded me an ability to play as well or better than most of the people who were there, which is totally unfair. I get it. It's so annoying when people come and just show up and they're the best ones there right away. But nevertheless, this was the fact. I was the strongest player there. I was also younger by like 30 years, which helped. But I was brand new to the sport. This was literally my first day playing. And so if I had to choose between competitive and recreational, I would 100% go to recreational. I was not a competitive pickleball player. I barely understood the rules of pickleball. I was just out there playing, having fun, having a good time, socializing, getting a little exercise, whatever. It was purely recreational. At the same time, you can have someone who's a 3.0 player, a low intermediate player. They're not a particularly strong player, but they love the game. They're passionate about the game. They are super competitive. These are people who eat and sleep and breathe pickleball. They spend time and money and effort. They travel to tournaments. When they win a medal at the tournament, they parade their medal around the club for the next week. By the way, that's kind of annoying. Please don't do that. But these people are legitimately competitive players. They are competing at the 3.0 level. And so here's the thing. If you're trying to group people so that you have good games, that they're evenly matched, that it's fun, that they're close in skill level, then organizing people according to competitive and recreational totally falls flat. Because recreational and competitive are attitudes. They are not skill levels. You can be a very skilled player who doesn't care at all about competing, and you can be a less skilled player who cares a lot about competing. So this way of doing things is a dud. So how else do you do it? Well, there's lots of ways that people try. Winner stays on, which we talked about. You could have challenge courts. You could have some outside third-party professional come in and do ratings, and your club has to abide by those ratings. Uh, there's lots of ways of doing it. I'm not sure that there is a perfect system. But what I'm trying to say here today is that I do not think that you should use recreational and competitive as your way for demarcating who should play with whom. Again, because recreational and competitive aren't skill levels, they're attitudes. Hi there, and welcome to Pickleball Problems. This is the podcast where you tell me all about what's going on in your pickleball life, and I help you solve those problems. Whether you've got questions about equipment or etiquette, technique or tactics, or anything else, just send me a voice memo to mark at thirdshotsports.com, and I'd be happy to play it and answer your question on our show. All right, let's get to the questions. Hi, Mark. My name is Erica from Texas, and I am curious if you know of any cruises or vacation spots with pickleball courts um, kind of geared toward and related towards pickleball. Um, I think a pickleball vacation would be a lot of fun. Thanks. 
I was a little nervous about answering this question. I've never been on a pickleball cruise. I've never been on a cruise at all. The idea of being stranded on a boat, albeit a big one, with a whole bunch of people that I can't really escape from, does not sit well with me. Cruising is not something that I see in my foreseeable future. So I'm not a cruise expert. I don't know. But I do know that there are more and more examples of cruises that are offering pickleball. And a quick Google search will show you a whole bunch of newspaper articles where you can see these. I know that different people, different coaches, some prominent, some less so, are out there. They're doing sort of packages where you cruise and you do pickleball clinics and exhibitions and that sort of thing. And I have no idea if these are any good. They may be, they may not. But I'll tell you what I hear. I spend a lot of time around people who play pickleball. I get a lot of emails from people who play pickleball, and many of those people go on cruises and go on vacations. And to be honest, every time that I've heard from someone, secondhand knowledge, I don't know this for a fact, but every time I've had someone talk to me unsolicited about pickleball cruises, the feedback has been mediocre at best, more often in the negative camp, for a few reasons. Often I hear that the courts aren't the right size, or if they are the right size in terms of the lines, there's not enough space. I guess you can imagine that boats have limited space, and so they try to make it, um, they try to cut corners, so to speak, whenever possible in terms of using that space. The other thing that happens is you're out on the water, and I don't know, I'm not someone who cruises a lot. I'm guessing that if you're out in the middle of the ocean, there's a pretty good chance that it's windy out there. Now, some cruises, I hear, will sort of lower, will put the quartz down lower so they're a little more protected by the wind, um, and so that might mitigate the problem a little bit. But I've heard from people who were so disappointed with the pickleball court setup and the number of people waiting to play is that what they did is they found some chairs, they found a piece of rope, and they went, I guess cruises have discos, or some of them do, and they found a disco, and they set up, <laughs> they set up their own court using chairs and a rope and would rather play inside in that little disco. So again, I don't know. Maybe things have improved, but I do think that if you're going on a cruise and pickleball, your priority should probably be in that order. Go on the cruise because you love cruising. Play pickleball. Think of that as like a little bonus, I would say. I do know that cruises sometimes, well, not sometimes, pretty much always, stop in certain ports, right? You go and you go into town and you whatever. Buy your gifts for your loved ones that you left. Um... Maybe that's an opportunity, is to not just sort of experience the local culture and the local food and art scene and whatever, but maybe there is pickleball at those ports of entry. Or maybe you can introduce it at those ports of entry if you want to be someone who lugs a pickleball net around with you. So maybe that's an opportunity. But, but from firsthand knowledge, I have zero firsthand knowledge about pickleball cruising or cruising at all. But anecdotally, I have heard very few positive things about playing pickleball on a boat with 5,000 of your closest friends in the middle of the ocean. That, to me, sounds terrible. But that's just me. You love pickleball, right? And I bet you would love to go to the 2018 USA PA National Championships in Indian Wells, California. And I bet you would love if we sent you there. We've teamed up with our friends over at Selkirk Sport, and we're sending two people to the Nationals. You get your flights, you get a hotel, you get a rental car, you get private lessons with me, you get gear from Selkirk. It is going to be awesome. This contest goes till the end of summer 2018, and that's when we're going to pick our grand prize winner. All you have to do to enter is go over to thirdshotsports.com contests. 
Good luck. We had a Facebook message from Cecil who asks, Don't you think it would encourage people to play pickleball more if you started them by teaching the basics through singles play as opposed to starting them by teaching doubles? I love playing singles. I love the running that's involved in it. I love that it's one-on-one. You can't just isolate the weaker player. But the thing is, is that singles tactics are quite different from doubles tactics. You're automatically coming to the net in doubles isn't always the case in singles. You still often come to the net in singles, but just not as regularly as you do in doubles. The third shot is also quite different. In singles pickleball, you see more third shot drives that are hit as passing shots, whereas in doubles pickleball, you see more third shot drops in order to force the opponents to hit up so they can't do as much damage. And while there is some overlap between the skills that you need, both technical and tactical, in singles and doubles, they're really different skills. So I don't think that starting people in singles is the best way. Why? Well, mostly when you go out and you watch people play pickleball, what do you see? You don't see singles play, you see doubles play. That's because for a lot of people, they don't want to be running that much. That's because in a lot of places, you have limited court space, and playing with four people on a court is a better use of that space than playing just with two people on that court. It's also more social when you play doubles. So... In practical terms, people are out there playing doubles far more often than they are playing singles. So I don't think that introducing singles pickleball as people's first touch with the game makes that much sense, because when they leave your lesson and they go out and they start to play with their friends, they're probably playing doubles. But I'm wondering, Cecil, whether your question comes from a GIF that I recently posted on the Third Shot Sports Facebook page. And what I suggested was that when people are warming up, or even when you're training, with a group, it makes sense to have two balls going at a court at the same time. And that's because when you have one ball going, you'll get a certain number of touches. And when you have two balls going, you're going to double that because the person is always hitting back to you. So whether you're doing this down the line or going cross court, having two balls going at once makes a lot of sense. Now, that doesn't mean I'm playing singles, right? I'm still doing some doubles training presumably double-specific training. It just means I'm doing it on half the court where I can work with that person straight ahead of me. So I think that um, introducing doubles right off the bat when people are playing is a great idea, but when you're doing some training situations, get two balls going at once, and that way everyone gets twice as many touches. Okay, so I have a question for you. What is it? Have you ever played pickleball before? Yeah. Yeah? What's your favorite part of pickleball? I like hitting the ball. Do you think it's more fun to play with a friend or by yourself? With a friend. Can you play with a friend? Yeah. Thanks for your help. Whether you like training on your own or with a buddy, we've got you covered. Head over to thirdshotsports.com and use the promo code PROBLEMS to get a great discount on one of our drill guides. Have more fun hitting the ball. Thirdshotsports.com Let's go make breakfast. Can I hear it? I can hold it. We received a message from Joanna who asks, how does one build confidence for tournament play? Let me preface this by saying I'm a 4.0 player and 66 years old. I played in racquetball tournaments for over 30 years and didn't seem to have this problem. I go into a lower level 3.5 tournament and can't hang with the bangers as my ball goes flying out everywhere. My partner has stood and hit hard balls at me, which I usually return nicely in drills, but I just can't convert the drills to the game. My confidence is on the floor. Help. The other day I was in Winnipeg, Manitoba, and we were doing a group clinic, and we were doing a little contest. 
in the contest. I can't remember if it was a dinking contest or a volley contest. But the goal was to be the first team that was able to get 12 in a row. Right? We had a certain measure for how good was good enough, and you had to get 12 in a row. And the first team that got 12 won. And as the people were going and everyone was counting, one, two, three, four, five, six, oh, back, missed it, go back to zero. There was one group that when they were done, I said, oh, you guys didn't get to 12 first. How far did you get? And they both looked at each other. Then they both looked at me and they said, oh, we didn't keep track. And I gave these guys kind of a hard time. And I explained to them that when I asked them to try to get to 12 or to keep track of how many they're doing, it wasn't because I particularly love math. It was for a very specific reason. And I said to them, I'm guessing you're here because you don't want to just be good practicers. You want to be good players. And the difference between practicing and playing sometimes is that when you're playing, there's a consequence if you screw up. If you blow it, you lose a point. And the feeling that you have when there is a consequence is different from the feeling you have when there's no consequence. And so when these people were trying to get to 12 and they go back to zero, if they miss, that puts a little bit of pressure on them. In the same way that when you're playing a real game of pickleball, there's a little bit of pressure on you. But because those people didn't count, they didn't feel that little bit of pressure. They're just hitting balls back and forth. So what does this have to do with you? Well, I'm wondering whether your drills put any pressure on you. You mentioned that when your partner hits balls hard at you, you're able to handle them. But then, in a game, you can't. Well, what's the difference? I guess in one way the difference is you don't necessarily know the ball is always coming fast when you're playing in a game, but you were saying you're playing against the banger, so you can kind of presume it is. You also mentioned in another post that even though you're well warmed up, you frequently miss your first serve. goes out. So that's weird, right? What's that about? It's not that you don't know how to serve. What's the difference? Well, there is a consequence if you miss your serve. Side out. So my suggestion to you is that you need to make your drills, make your training reflect more accurately the psychological and emotional side of what happens when you play real matches. There needs to be a consequence. What happens if you don't get 12 in a row? What happens if you hit that drop too high? What happens if you hit that return too short? What's the penalty that you have to face? Because in game you face a penalty and you know that before you hit the ball and that does things to you. But often when people practice, they don't practice with any consequences. So what kinds of consequences could you use? Well, that's up to you. Every time you hit the ball where it's not supposed to go, you gotta do a push-up. Every time you hit the ball in the net, you owe your training partner a dollar. Every time you hit your drop a little bit too high, well, you buy the beers afterwards. I was even once working with a group and we were talking about this and one person put up her hand and she said, oh, 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 I have a question. Could the consequence be sexual favors? And everybody laughed. I don't care what your consequences are. What I care about is that when you're hitting that ball, that you feel the same kind of pressure that you will feel when you play a game. That it matters somehow whether you make it or you miss it. And often when we just practice, we're free of those consequences. So think about what kinds of consequences you want to involve in your life, sexual favors or otherwise, and then go out and start training the way that you play. And we'll leave it there. Thanks everyone for sending in their questions this week. If you have a question or a pickleball problem, open up your phone, say Siri, make a voice memo, and send me a voice memo by email, mark at thirdshotsports.com. We love hearing your voice, so instead of just emailing it to me, make a voice memo, you can do it. Just Google it if you don't know how. Mark at thirdshotsports.com is where to send your voice memo. We'll play it on the show and we will answer your questions. Until next time, good luck on the courts.